great. It was great. And if uh, if if you want to know if you need if you want to know how to sing, talk to the Creeds and let Callie, their daughter, teach you a few things. I tell you, she that's just great. Keep that girl singing. Hey, I wanted to begin this morning by uh, reminding you next week is our is, is a day that I don't want you to miss. I think it's an important day in the life of our church, and uh, this is the day that we're going to kind of begin the nomination process for our elder selection. Uh, you will be able to, to find out more about our, our entire process if you look on our app. It'll say elder selection process, one of the buttons on the very first page. It looks just like that. And also they are printed up in the very back as well. Uh, if you wanted to listen to a podcast that kind of talks a little bit more about what it is a spiritual leader looks like, then you can just search online, uh, look in our app for this, this, this podcast. It should be on iTunes now. If it's not, it'll be there shortly. But that's just a 12 episode, each episode three to seven minutes, quick listen, but kind of get you thinking a little bit more deeply about what a spiritual leader looks like. Um, that's what we're talking about this month, is these qualities of a spiritual leader. Now, although some qualities of leadership are universal, not all of the qualities we will be discussing are utilized in the corporate world, uh, which also means... I guess if you think a little deeper that just because you're a great leader in the business world doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a great leader in the, you know, in the spiritual sense. It doesn't mean you'll be an effective leader. Just because you are maybe a CEO or, or a CFO or a great manager doesn't necessarily give you the credentials to be a good, effective spiritual leader. I mean, we have a lot of examples of good leaders in our culture. A lot of great CEOs, a lot of uh, good uh, people that we want to emulate. But we also have a lot of bad examples of people in our culture and our country who ended up, um, well, they were more concerned with making sure that the bottom line was what it needed to be, making sure they kept what they had, uh, that they ended up ruining their company uh, or their reputation. Um, for example, how many of you remember Kodak? Okay, it's still around to some extent, but uh, do you see what this is right here? That is a digital camera. And in fact, Kodak invented the digital camera. Uh, it was about around 1975, and they had this technology in their possession. Uh, it was a multi-billion dollar company, 200,000 plus employees across the globe, but their CEO didn't really have the vision. Didn't really know what to do with this thing because he's a film guy. It's all about the film. How many of you remember those drive-in and out film pr photo processing places, right? Uh, that's something our kids will never know. They'll never experience that. But this guy wanted to keep that. He wanted to hold on to that. So because of his lack of vision and stubbornness, uh, they ended up declaring bankruptcy and emerged a much smaller company than they are. Okay, here's one. Back in the early 1900s, there was a man named John Patterson. He was the CEO of a company called NCR. They developed cash registers, business uh, banking machines. Uh, and I'll tell you, this, this guy, he ran a company that ended up being hugely successful. Uh, the man was a, uh, I would say he was tyrannical in his methods. Uh, he liked to fire and then rehire executives just to break their spirit. You know, it's always good to hire, fire, and then hire them again, you know. 
as God shows him power. He banned harmful foods, including bread and butter, from all of his uh, facilities. Uh, he had employees. How's this? He had employees weighed and measured every six months. Can we do that still? Is that still a thing we can do? Uh, here's one. He used knockout men to intimidate store owners so that they wouldn't buy from any of his competitors. He was acquitted of that charge, by the way, but we all know that it happened. Uh, he fired a man named Thomas Watson because he was worthless, didn't really know what he was talking about. Fortunately, Thomas went on to you know, create a company called IBM. Um, let's see, he was, oh, this is what's interesting about this guy, is that NCR still around. It's a $1.5 billion company. And John Patterson was called a great man and a successful leader. The message may have been a little odd. Uh, we all know about Ken Lay from Enron. Um, if you don't know about that, then you know you may be under the age of 15 or 20. But at least Ken Lay went to church quite consistently. Because he told his pastor right before he died, you know, I'm okay with what's to come. Because he was a church-going man. Which is interesting, because sometimes you see church-going people in the business world, but somehow those two personas don't quite mesh. We could go on and on. But what we see is that these CEOs were motivated by just a few things. They were motivated by profit, success, fame, and domination. None of which are biblical qualities. And when we look at some leaders in Scripture, we also see some of these same qualities. They're horrible. But some leaders in Scripture stand out above the rest. They stand out as good, lasting examples of what spiritual leadership looks like. And today we're going to talk about one of these examples, specifically Moses. Now I'm going to do something different today. We're going to work through a text is what we're going to do. We're just going to work through Exodus 32. And I really, I didn't want to have it on the screen, but I don't think we have Bibles in our pews uh, because of COVID, and that may change. But if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, follow along in your actual Bible. If you have an app, turn it on, uh, turn it on to our, our, our app, and the text is right there in the sermon notes. Uh, do what you need to do, but I'd, I'd like it if we could just get into the Word a little bit today, and I'll kind of comment on it as we go. Um, oh, if you're at home watching and you, you need to pause me right now to get your Bible, go ahead and pause right now. Okay, and now we're back. Good. You got it? Great. All right. Here we go. Um, if you don't have one or a phone, uh, look in the person next to you. If someone's looking on with you, don't do this. Just share, right? And it's all good. All right. Moses continues to be lauded as one of the most effective leaders in history, right? He is one of these people who possess qualities that I believe some people in this room possess. If you want to know what a, a true spiritual leader looks like, I believe the place to begin is Moses. Now I'm going to read straight from the NIV. Okay, we're going to work through this leadership, um, this uh, leadership text. Um, I'm going to have them kind of follow along with me whenever I go. So just to set it up a little bit, Moses had just spent about 40 years as a shepherd. Um, you know, he was in Egypt before that, and he spent 40 years as a shepherd, and now he's called by God to go and uh, lead his people out of bondage from, from, uh, 
from Pharaoh. There were plagues that he was uh, kind of in responsible for, <laughs> I guess you could say. He warned Pharaoh, but God, through Moses and Aaron, kind of made sure that, that Pharaoh got the picture. Uh, we had this great Red Sea moment. We had this pillar of fire that would follow them by, uh, lead them by night, cloud, lead them by day. You know, uh, God at this point had already spoken the Ten Commandments to his people, and the people were so afraid, they were so terrified that they said, Moses, please don't let God speak to us anymore because we're going to die. So how about you speak to us for him? And God said, okay, that's, that sounds pretty good. So Moses was to be God's voice for the people. So Exodus 32, we find Moses on this mountain talking with God directly, and they're writing down the details of these, this covenant. I would say a marriage, marriage vows between God and Israel. And he's talking about some pretty remarkable things about how to create a, 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 a house, a tent for God to live in. He's talking about getting artists, talking about what it's going to look like. It's going to be beautiful. I'm sure this, the conversation was quite remarkable and the detail is just unbelievable. So, so he's up on a mountain, but he's been there for close to 40 days. Now, if you're waiting for someone, 40 days is a long time to wait. Especially if they're not being, you're not, you can't see them. They're on a mountain somewhere and you hear thunder and rumbling every once in a while and you're wondering what has happened. Uh, also add to the fact that you're pretty superstitious. You still got a lot of Egypt in you and uh, some bad things can happen. Now, Moses is up on the mountain. His brother, Aaron, is there with his people. Uh, Aaron and, and, and Miriam were kind of the second and third de facto leaders of the group. And so they're all there with the people. So let's start with verse 1 of Exodus 32. People are getting restless. Now, when people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Okay, this fellow Moses. I love the way that this is written. After everything that has happened, the Red Sea, the plagues, they knew his story. They knew his brother, his sister. But they're saying, this fellow Moses. I, I, I can imagine Aaron hears the slight, hears the disrespect. Now, the obvious response from Aaron would just be to say, hey, you guys calm down. It's all going to be okay. Just calm down down go home see one of the spiritual leaders responsibilities is to help people think up think bigger think more of the big picture mindset right um, think differently uh, really to to kind of lead people to think of the bigger picture so that they can see god is up to something much bigger than they can even imagine at that moment i mean even aaron has seen a lot He's been involved. He had the staff for a long time. Aaron's spoken to Pharaoh. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, these guys couldn't rattle him. I mean, he's, he's experienced a lot. He'd be pretty tough. Huh. Okay, uh, two, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made, him, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. 
There's so many things I'd love to get into. Earrings. I mean, why just earrings, right? But this is what's interesting. When people get anxious, they tend to do or to want to go back to those things that make them comfortable. This is universal. Uh, the bull was the most widely recognized idol in that day. It, it symbol, uh, symbolized strength, power, and authority. Um, a lot of them probably had that in their houses. And this bull, for those people who had just come out of this, this situation in Egypt, uh, it was comforting for them. So that's what they wanted to go back to. Then they said, not Aaron, uh, they, in, in verse 4, then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is interesting to me. Because I'm thinking, and I'm just trying to think a little deeper here. I think that at some point, Aaron might have thought, this is getting a little out of control. Maybe he thought, if I just make them this, then it'll appease them for a little bit until Moses comes back. So he's probably thinking things are getting really out of control. So he then says, okay, well, we need to make this about God then. Let's try to reorient people back to God. And people, you know, they just really want to just be comfortable here. So they go through the motions. They do their little worship so they can do what they really want to do. One particular text uh, translation says they rose up to play. And I'm not thinking this is balloons and a karaoke machine. This is the party like they did in Egypt. Self-indulgent. Carnal. They're using one another to get what they want. Really, the only thing they're worshiping is themselves. I mean, basically, in a literal sense, all hell was breaking loose in the camp. And the one who was in charge, while Moses was away was somewhat responsible. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the mountain, verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, uh, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them. One translation says they've swerved quickly and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, a few things here. Notice how God refers to, in verse 7, go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Not my people, God's saying. Is he already disowning them? Is he distancing himself from, from Israel? I mean, would you blame him? I mean, think about it. While God is on the mountain creating wedding vows, His people are already breaking them. He's writing the commandment, and they're already breaking them. Moses didn't even make it down the mountain before they broke the commandments. Verse 9, I have seen these people. 
the Lord said to Moses. And they are a stiff-necked people. Now, Hebrew, a lot of these phrases are how they describe things. Stiff-necked is stubborn. Um, angry is actually red-faced. Um, there, there's one that's, that's uh, pr- pronounced long-nosed. Right? That, that's how they explained things. So stiff-necked people. Stubborn. Uh, and so now leave me alone so that, so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Hey, God was ready to do away with all these people. He just told Moses that he's ready to make Moses into a great nation instead. Wow. I mean, obviously the people's hearts aren't really into this relationship. Maybe they're just not that into him. So God said, hey, Moses, how about we just start over? Now, if your concern was ambition, if your concern was comfort, that everybody's just, that everything's just good, how easy would this have been to think to yourself, huh, I can make a nation for me. I could be known as. So how did Moses respond? Verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should, okay, here, listen to how he turns this back on God a little bit. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Moses knows his place. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Remember. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now this is one of those moments that you can't really plan for. You know, a lot of times we think, oh yeah, I'll make the right decision when it comes. But, but how, do you, <laughs> how do you plan for an argument with God face to face? when you're defending some, somebody that he's about ready to get rid of. He's God. He knows best. How do you prepare for that? This is one of those reasons I think Moses was, was the right leader, was, was someone that, that I think even in a, if, if God could ever be surprised, he surprised God. Because Moses had been paying attention. He's looking at the big picture. So often we are so focused on the di- those little minute details that we, we miss the big picture. Moses, he saw the big picture. He was looking. He had his eyes open. He's thinking up. He knows that God wants to bless the world through these people. He knows what's going to be said by all the other nations. He's, in a way, trying to protect God's reputation too. 
God's trying to, to show God how much, I mean, Moses is trying to show God how much he loves them. Moses is trying to show God how much he loves these people. He knows that, that Israel is the mission of God. So what does he do? Moses is so bought in. He is sold out to the mission of God that he steps in on behalf of the Israelites, on behalf of these people. Defends them. He's an advocate for them. And he reminds God of his promise. This is bold language. Remember, you promised. (laughs) Bold. And it wasn't motivated by selfish ambition. This was all motivated because he absolutely loved his people. Didn't didn't say he liked them. But he loved them. Verse 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noises of the people shouting, Joshua's halfway down, by the way. Joshua's kind of, um, I would say, Moses' protege, you know, his right-hand man. Uh, But he's halfway down the mountain. When Joshua hears the noise of the people shouting, he says to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Because Joshua's a warrior, and he just, he hears, "Uh uh-oh, they're having a fight. Moses replies, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. Moses is going to go see what's happening for himself. So he brings the covenant down. And I don't know what he's expected. I think whenever you hear about something so dangerous and, and terrible, it's a lot different when you actually see it. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it into the fire. And he ground it to powder, scattering it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Now during that time, one of the customs was if you had a strong binding agreement, you would write it on stone. And if it was long, there was a lot of details, you'd write it front and back. Important covenants were front and back. But when the covenant was broken, the tablets were to be broken. Moses didn't lose his temper. He was declaring to the people, you broke the covenant. So his first action was to protect the people from further danger. So he gets rid of the calf, and I'm sure it's pretty expensive. He didn't get rid of it and then make it into something else. He got rid of it, ground it to powder, got rid of it, told people to drink it. It was very expensive, but if something is not of God in your family of faith, in the community, if something is not of God, then in the long run, it's going to be a lot more expensive. There's going to be a lot more cost attached to that. I mean, imagine the courage that, that this must have taken from Moses. I mean, suddenly he's putting himself at odds with all the influential people of Israel. But again, he knew God's bigger vision. Moses feared God more than men. Moses was angry and disappointed, but not only with the people, but also his brother. Good grief, Aaron. 
Let's continue. He said to Aaron, what do these people do to you that led that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, well, whoever has any gold or jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. it weren't so sad it'd be funny it sounds like a garden of eden moment doesn't it the the woman it's her fault uh the serpent it's his fault aaron had his opportunity to lead his people he had an opportunity to help them think up to help them think a little bit more critically about their their choices about their anxiety but what did he do instead he tried to please them They ended up leading him instead, and instead of owning up to his mistake, what he does is he turned around and blamed the people. What does that mean that Elizabeth says? (laughs) That's a great sign of a manager, being able to blame your mistakes on others. And he gave an awful excuse while he was at it. At least try a little harder. 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. There's a lot to unpack over the next few verses. It's pretty violent and not PG-13, so I'm going to go and skip to verse 30. Moses had to basically clean house here because there was a lot of people who did some very bad things. They had brought sin into the camp. They had tainted and they were not repentant. But as bad as it was, Moses still wanted to make it right. So verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and he said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. I don't know how many leaders you know. Very few, if any, CEOs are courageous enough to stand side by side with their people. That's that's the beauty of CEOs in business. You have distance. Plausible deniability. Most, I would say, worldly leaders would rather blame their people than stand beside them, but not Moses. Moses knew that his fate was intertwined with the fate of the people. He chose that. They were bound together. I mean, even while they were sinners, he stepped in with them. Does that sound like anyone you've heard of? While they were sinners, he stood beside them and begged for forgiveness on behalf of his people, knowing that God didn't have to do it. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead these people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sins. There's so many things to learn about what a spiritual leader looks like from this story. 
I mean, God was doing such great things for a people who didn't really deserve it. They did nothing to deserve it. And while Moses was listening, responding, and waiting for God in an uncomfortable place, Aaron was, was listening and reacting to an impatient and anxious people who wanted to be more comfortable. They were short-memoried people. And when God was ready to punish, Moses stepped in and interceded on behalf of his people while Aaron was blaming them. Moses was an intercessor, a mediator, humble, loyal, did not seek power or glory for himself. Instead, he stood with them while they were still sinners. He attached his fate to theirs. And he said, if you won't forgive them, then don't forgive me either. How many leaders have entrenched themselves in such ways? A godly leader does this. He's not above. If anything, he's below. He's a servant. Now, as we wrap up, I'm almost done. I think it's very important to say that Moses wasn't always a great leader. He grew up in a very well-placed position. He learned from the best. He learned how to be a mighty warrior. Uh, he saw Pharaoh. He saw what it meant to drive your people and to get as much product out of your society as you possibly can. But that's not where he learned leadership. Because the moment he saw an opportunity to help his people, the Hebrew people, he killed a man for it, thinking his people would rally around him. You know what they did? They didn't care. They dismissed him. Maybe that was the first lesson of how do you deal with a people who will just dismiss you? So he fled. And I think where, where Moses really learned leadership was in the years after he lost everything. It was in those, those 40 years of each and every day being a shepherd. Learning how to, how to care for stubborn and stiff-necked sheep. How to lead them to better places. How to be patient when they were sick. It wasn't glamorous. It was necessary. It was the ordinary, mundane, each and every day that he learned how to love, how to lead, how to protect, and how to be with his flock. And in those years that he thought his life was close to an end, probably he didn't have anything else to give the world. That's when God chose to use him. God raised him up to be a leader. A meek and humble servant helped lead his people towards the next chapter of their journey. So my question for you, who among you bears these marks? And I would even say a lot of you probably have been given opportunity to live into this way as well. I have been poured into by, by such great people in my life who bear these marks. And I think the more you look, the more you'll see. God's raising up leaders in our world. And he wants to use us to do it. And he's raising up leaders in our church because there is a journey to be taken. The praise team comes up and we can wrap up. I'd like you just to be uh, thinking about 
you know, what, what is it that God's doing in your life? What is he trying to lead you to do? Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to be a little bit more courageous about. Maybe there's, there's something that, that maybe you just need to, to rely and give completely to God instead of trying to manage it yourself. I'll be praying for you, and if you need prayer this morning, we'll have men and women all around the room. But maybe God wants you to be a leader too. Maybe it's time to say yes to that. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, and thank you for allowing us the opportunity to go through your word. Lord, thank you for giving us um, such great people in this room who are, who are sold out to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who speak life into others and lead others well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.